even in difficult situations and times, he's always good. <clears throat> Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 85. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 85. Most of us are creatures of habit, whether we want to admit it or not. Uh, <clears throat> some of us are, are more so than others, um, but the reality is we are all creatures of habit. And uh, <clears throat> because of that, summertime uh, is a strange time for a lot of people. Uh, <clears throat> because typically during the summer, uh, our, our schedules change for one thing. <clears throat> and when our schedules change, oftentimes our priority changes. <clears throat> and then life becomes very different, does it not? <clears throat> As a result of that, oftentimes what can happen is our passion for Christ will diminish. And it's all because our schedules change, things change, we get out of our routines, and the next thing you know, uh, we're neglecting our Bible reading. We're not praying as often as we know we should. Oftentimes, church attendance starts to fade away because of uh, our, and it's all because we're, we're out of our routine, if you would. Um, I, I, I uh, <clears throat> was speaking with a, a mentor of mine uh, uh, recently, and <clears throat> uh, in the course of the conversation, I don't even remember exactly what we were talking about, uh, he, he made the comment, well, he says, summer is always tough on church attendance. And, and uh, <clears throat> historically speaking, most churches do see a, a diminish uh, of church attendance. And I personally believe it's because of the fact that we get out of our routines and, you know, things happen and, you know, and, and now all of a sudden it's church is no longer a priority because things are, are changing. Now I do want to say one thing before anybody gets, gets on the defensive. <clears throat> I'm not criticizing anybody. Uh, this is this is just a fact of life. Okay, we all do it. We every one of us does it. Uh, uh, when when I go on vacation, I can't wait to get back so I can get into my routine. Uh, you know, and and I'm really not that much of a creature of habit. My my wife is far worse than I am. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, she's laughing. Um, but but it it happens to all of us. So uh, th this is something that is it's just human nature. And Psalm 85 is an interesting psalm. Uh, most people, many people, uh, believe that David is the author of the Book of Psalms, uh, and that's that's not true. Uh, David penned many of the psalms. In fact, we can only credit. 75 of the 150 psalms to David. So, uh, so the other 50, uh, some of them were probably penned by David. We just don't know. 
but the other ones were penned by uh, people. Sometimes they're identified, sometimes they're not. Uh, Psalm 85 is one that is, is, is written by an anonymous author. We don't know who it is. But this anonymous author, the psalmist, is wanting God to do something in his life. And I believe with all my heart, if I, don't, if I didn't believe this, I wouldn't be here. Uh, but I believe with all my heart that everybody that's here this morning, the reason why you're here this morning is that you want God to do something in your heart. The psalmist in Psalm 85, and we're going to read it here in just a second, but I want, to, I want you to see the division. There are three divisions in the book of Psalms that I really want you to, as we read them, you should be able, it should, you should be able to identify them. But verses 1 through 3, the, the psalmist is talking about the past and what the things, some of the things that God has done in his life in the past. Verses 4 through 7 are, uh, are primarily talking about the present, what's going on right now. And then verses 8 to 13 is talking about the future. So let's read Psalm chapter 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto the land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast uh, uh, forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Now, let me stop right here and uh, give you a little Hebrew lesson. How many of you have ever noticed the word Selah in, in the Old Testament? Okay. Um, most people don't know what it means. I've heard, I've heard it explained that it's a musical note uh, because, because these are actual songs that they were singing. Uh, I, I don't believe that to be accurate. But uh, what I what I can tell you that I what I was taught is that the word selah literally means to meditate on it. It's what the word means to meditate on it. So as the as the psalmist is writing psalms, and the word to my memory, the the word selah occurs in psalms more than any other book. It's in other places, but it's mostly used in the book of Psalms. So here, what the psalmist is saying is, wait, wait, stop, back up and read what I just wrote and meditate on it again. Okay, that's what the word selah. So every time you read the word selah in Scripture, you need to stop and go back and read what you just read. Does that make sense? So that's what the word selah means. So... So we'll read verse 2 again. Uh, Thou hast uh, forsaken the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered their sins. Praise God for that. What is the psalmist wanting to do? He's wanting us to to focus and meditate on the goodness of God. Verse 3. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast uh, turned thyself from the fierceness of, of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice with thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. 
I will hear what God, uh, what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them that uh, Turn, that not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give uh, that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this incredible passage of Scripture, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would help us like never before. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The context of this psalm is that the, the author of this psalm identifies that there is a need. He does not identify what the need is, but there is a need in the nation of Israel. And the... <clears throat> And the psalmist starts off by talking about the blessings of God in the past and the things that he has done in the past. And then he talks about the present, things that are going on presently. And then he's saying, I am going to be looking forward to your blessings as they come in the future. And, 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 and a, little, a little sermon here, aside from what I'm speaking on, that is how we need to approach life. We need to always remember what God has done in our lives. We, ought, we need to be cognizant of what is going on now, but we need to be looking forward to the blessings of God in the future. It's a good pattern for us to, to keep ourselves in. And <clears throat> anyway, that, that, that little bit was, was free. That was a free commercial there. But in the midst of the psalm, we see a challenging question. And this question uh, <clears throat> has been asked by, by believers for centuries. Verse 6 says, Wilt thou not revive us again? This morning I want to concentrate mainly on two words in that, in that question, if you would. The first one is the word Revival. The word revival literally means to be made alive or to energize or to restore life. When I was at the hospital visiting Tony a, a week ago, uh, I was in there and the, the doctor happened to be um, uh, listening to Tony's heart while I was in there. And she realized that the EMS drivers, or uh, the the emergency room people, had 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 left the the pads on Tony. Um, and I, I 
I thought, wow, the, what are those? Because you know the you know the ones that they put on you for your heartbeat and all that. They're, they're little round ones. <laughs> yeah, that stick forever. Yes. Um, but these were these were about this big, and there was there was one up here, and then there was another one like down here, and because she she pulled back his little gown thing to you know check his heart, and she noticed that, and she's like, wow, what is this doing on here? And I thought. Yeah, what is that? And and t- Tony Tony asked. He's like, I don't I don't know what it is. He she said, well, the EMS drivers put put these two pads on you so that if they have to shock you, the the pads are already there. They don't have to use those paddles. So had Tony had had he and he didn't praise the Lord, but had he had a heart attack or something, all they had to do was plug that thing in and hit a button. Why would they do that? To to revive him. See, <clears throat> when a, when somebody's heart stops, we would say they're they're dead, right? So the point of the 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 the, the paddle things is to revive them. And the reality is that each of us struggles oftentimes in the need to be revived spiritually. We all struggle, do we not? <clears throat> so the first word that he uses that I've, I feel is interesting is the word revive, to energize, to make alive again. The second word is again. Think about that. In other words, the psalmist is saying, you have revived me in the past. I need you to do it again. You've done it before. Will you do it again? And the reality is, that each of us, myself included, struggle through life because of you know this morning I talked about how summer is a is a it, it is a huge struggle for a lot of people because of the routines and the things are are, are messed up and and so on and so forth. Uh, you know many parents love it when their kids go back to school if for no other reason they it helps them get back into their routines. And get them out of the house. No matter what is going on in your life, or no matter what stage of life you're in, there are times where we need to be revived again. This morning's message I have entitled Restore Me Again. Restore Me Again, I cannot think about this idea of restoration without thinking about David. And when Nathan the prophet came to David and he stuck his finger in David's face and, and, he, and, he, and he revealed to him that God knew about his sin with Bathsheba. And in Psalm chapter 51, one of my favorite psalms, I, I, I love this psalm. David cries out and says, Restore unto me the joy of 
of my salvation and upon me uh, uh, with thy free spirit. What is David saying here? See, David's cry to God is, is very simple and clear. God, I messed up. Restore to me that joy. If, if we could go to Psalm 85, David would have said, revive me again. It's the same idea, restore unto me. In other words, I once had this joy of, of salvation in my heart and life, but I need it again. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. <clears throat> I have a question for you. What does restoration look like? Now, I'm sorry, I want you to, I'm going to let you ponder on this for a second because oftentimes we, at least me, I, I can only speak for myself, I, I, I've heard probably hundreds of messages on revival and, 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 and restoration and, and things like that. But oftentimes, in my mind, I have difficulty trying to understand what it is supposed to look like in my life. Anybody else like that? I hope. <laughs> At least I'm not the only one. But what is it supposed to look like? Well, I've got an answer for you. The same, but different. Wow, that's okay. That ha that was like no help. <laughs> okay, I got a picture for you. Okay, now, yeah, yeah. Okay, is this the same house? Okay, it is the same house. Okay, it's just different. It's been restored. But it's the same house. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's been there. I don't know who it is. Okay. And this is what God can do to our lives. So when, when, we, when we look and we say, wait a minute, what is revival supposed to look like in my life? You're, you, it's the same, but different. It's the same house. It's the same but it's totally different. And see, this is, the, this is the restoration that can take place in our lives if we will only let God do it. See, oftentimes we can hear a message on revival or restoration or whatever you want to call it, and we can, we can pray and say, God, I need this in my life, and, and two weeks later we're back to the old, to the old life. And, and basically what that is, is that is an, an emotional decision. Okay, the, true renovation changes who you are. But you remain the same, if that makes sense. See, <clears throat> you could take this the, the house on the top and you could put a fresh coat of paint on it. It's still going to be falling down. And see, that's what happens when, when we make emotional choices and decisions. We, it's like slapping a coat of paint on a house that's fallen apart. It, it may make it look pretty for a, a couple of weeks, but is it going to change anything? No. Why? Because paint fades. Paint, paint doesn't really do a whole lot 
and emotions fade away. And oftentimes we, we will come to church or we'll, we'll, we'll read our Bibles and God will prick our hearts and, 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 and convict us and, and, and ha- things will change. And, but then a week or two, three, four weeks later, we're right back to the old thing again. That's not true, that's not true revival. That's not true restoration. If the, if the person who did this work, uh, uh, even a year after they were done, if it looked like that again, uh, then they did not do a very good job, did they? True restoration, when it takes place in our lives, is the same but different. What does it look like in a very practical sense? What are the signs of restoration in our lives? <clears throat> I want to give you four signs of true restoration in our lives. When God is reviving us, when he's restoring us, when he's making a difference in our lives, the first one is God's presence seems near. God's presence seems near. The incarnation of Christ or the birth of Christ was one of God's attempts to draw close to mankind. See, we needed Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Jesus had to. The, the incarnation of Christ was an attempt by God to, to come to this earth so that man could draw near to him. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, the, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But what happens when we draw close to God? Real change starts to take place. In James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your, cleanse your, uh, your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So what happens, uh, the, 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 <clears throat> what is the prerequisite for God drawing nigh to us? We need to draw nigh to Him. We need to go to Him and say, God, revive me again. I can't tell you how many times in my almost 40 years of being saved, I have gone to God and said, God, revive me again. Multiple times. As I, even as I was preparing for this message, I, I thank God for the reminder of the need to be constantly going to him and saying, God, continue to work in my life. You know, I don't know if you realize it, but one of the hardest professions to stay close to God is being a pastor. <laughs> you think, well, that's ridiculous. No, think about it. You know what? I get paid. I get paid to study this book. Think about it. And there are days that I forget that I need to walk with God. 
And you can get so consumed with preparing messages and doing all the counseling and doing all of this stuff that you forget to walk with God yourself. And I appreciated God reminding me recently that it was just important for me to walk with Him as it is anybody else. Praise God for that. We have another reminder in excuse me in Jeremiah chapter 18, verses one through six. The Bible says the word came, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, "Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words." Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemeth good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. What was This is an incredible picture that God gives us. And the, 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 the spiritual application, at least the way I understand it, is this, that the clay fights against the potter. The, the clay doesn't want to be molded the way the potter wants to mold it. And the, the reality is that if you were to ever visit, or visit uh, a, a, a pottery uh, facility that actually makes it by hand, they will work a piece of clay and work a piece of clay and work a piece of clay and they'll do it and do it and do it. And eventually, if that clay doesn't mold to what they want it to, they will literally take it off the wheel, ball it up into a ball and throw it out the window. Never to be used ever again. And the picture that Jeremiah, that God was trying to give Jeremiah, it is a choice that we make in order to be moldable. It is, it is our choice to allow God to mold us or not. It is, it is our choice to allow God to, to stretch us and to make us into something that we may not necessarily want to be made into. It's our choice. And what, what God, and, and I believe uh, Jeremiah is trying to communicate here is, uh, to, at least to the nation of Israel, is make the right choice. But see, when, when, when <clears throat> restoration takes place in our lives, uh, God's presence seems near. The second evidence is that God's work is unhindered. When, when God is working in our lives, the work of God is unhindered in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, uh, quench not or uh, do not extinguish the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> We talked about the spirit, the soul, and the body. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it said, uh, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, 
soul and body be uh, preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about the three enemies of uh, discouragement, doubt, and division that takes place in in the soul. And when we allow these enemies to, to take place, it hinders the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. When God works in our lives, conviction takes place in our hearts. Occasionally, somebody will uh, visit our church, and uh, I, I always try and visit, you know, follow up with people who visit and different things, and 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 they say, well, Pastor, yeah, you know, uh, whatever, I, you know, whatever you preached on didn't didn't make me feel too good. So praise God for that. That that is evidence that God is working in your life. Praise God for that. And they always look at you like you're weird. But I do. I praise God when I when I and and I do this. Try to on a regular basis. Anyway, I try to listen to sermons off the internet. I download them onto my phone, and if I'm driving somewhere, uh, I'll, I'll I'll listen to a sermon. Why? Because I need that working in by the Spirit in my life. But conviction should lead to repentance or a decision to change. which should lead to change. You know, the reality is, if we come to church or we listen to a sermon on the internet or whatever, and God pricks our hearts and their conviction has taken place, and we repent and say, God, I'm sorry, but there's no change that takes place, then restoration never happened. You got that picture again? The same but different. See, if true restoration, if true revival is going to take place in our lives, it is only going to be after we are different. We should not be the same. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, Let us draw near with, the, with a true heart in, the, in, in fullness, excuse me, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts uh, sprinkled with the with an evil conscience and our bodies <clears throat> washed with a pure with pure water change needs to take place the third evidence of the restor- signs of restoration is that God's people want to be in God's house God's people want to be in God's house it is easy for us to make excuses not to come to church now, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody because one of the biggest excuses is we're too busy. And the, reality, and the reality is we are all too busy. And, and, and I, I personally believe that that is a tool of the devil to, to keep us out of church. Uh, and another one is I'm too tired. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel good. And I, I, the list can go on and on and on. That, that, that's not the point. The point is if God is doing a work in our lives, we want to be around other people that God is doing the same work in. 
<clears throat> restoration takes place in the hearts of the believer. In the first century church, it was understood, <clears throat> we understand the importance of fellowship in the first century church. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, is this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Uh, and fear came upon every soul, and, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all the that believer, excuse me, and all that believed were together and had all things common. In other words, you know what? I'm not the same as I used to be. And they sold their possessions and goods and imparted them to to all men and every man uh, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and, and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having uh, favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such, such should be saved. The early church needed each other. And I'm here to tell you, we are in the last days. If you haven't figured that out yet, talk to me later. I'll explain it to you. But the Lord is coming soon. The first century church needed each other. And I'm telling you, we need each other. Because we are quickly becoming a minority in our society today. And we need each other. The Apostle Paul uh, gave us an incredible word picture in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Uh, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and fellow citizens, or, or <coughs> strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints uh, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being uh, the chief cornerstone in whom all the, the building fitly framed together groweth in the holy temple of God, uh, in whom ye are uh, builded together in the habitation of God through the Spirit. The, 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 the idea here, there's, there's, there's two words. It's, it's, it's actually one Greek word, but two English words. It's fitly framed. I have another picture for you. And this is this hopefully will give you an idea of what it means to be fitly framed. We got a rookie on the on the on the Oh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> the idea of being fitly framed is something that is 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 not haphazardly put together. Okay, this this picture here is something that is fitly framed and it's it is not talking about just one portion. It is the entire the entire project, if you would. And the reality is, and what Paul is trying to tell us in the book of Ephesians is, is when we are missing in the, in the family of God, then the entire project is not fitly framed. Does that make sense? If, if one support beam, one, one joint is weak, one board is missing, then the entire project is flawed. But when we as, a, as fellow believers are in where we need to be, then we as fellow believers, we as a church, are fitly framed. What an incredible word picture Paul gives us. And then number four, and in closing, <clears throat> what are the signs of restoration? Number one, God's presence seems near. 
too, God's work is unhindered. God's people want to be in God's house. And then number four, God's people want to tell others. When Jesus encountered this, the, the woman at the well, something very interesting happened. In John chapter 4, verses 25 and following, it says, the, And the woman said unto him, I know uh, that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And he is, and he is come, excuse me, when he is come, uh, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Wow, do you get what he just said? He said, lady, I'm the Messiah. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked to this, to, with the woman. Yet no man said, what, uh, what seeketh thou, or why talkest with her? The woman le then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that even I did. Is not this the Christ? What happened? This woman, Jesus meets this woman at the well and he, he encounters this, this woman and he tells her things that she didn't know anybody knew. And then she, she, she makes the comment about the Messiah and he says, he says, I am the Messiah. The disciples show up, she leaves, left her pot behind. That's, that's big time significant. Okay, She goes into the city and starts telling everybody, look, this man told me all things. Is this not the Christ? What was the very first thing she did when she was introduced to the Messiah? She told other people. And when God does a restoration work in our lives, the first thing we want to do is tell others about the goodness of God. At least that's the way it should be. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus healed a deaf mute. And he told the people around him to say nothing but what happened. In, John, in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 36, he, he says, And he, being Jesus, charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, in other words, the more he tried to shut them up, so much more a great deal they published it. And you think, you think, wait a minute, Jesus was telling them, hey, don't tell them the good news. I don't know why Jesus did that, but I do know the response of the people. They wanted others to know. And, that the, and, and what should happen in our lives is when we have good news, what should we want to do? We should want to share that good news. We need restoration in our lives. We need change to take place. We need to be revived. And, I, and I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking corporately as a church. I, I'm talking as individuals. And I'm talking to me as well. We need God to do a work in our lives. It could be that we need, that someone needs to spend more time in their Bible. I could definitely use that. 
could be that you need to spend more time in prayer. I need more time in prayer. It could be the, 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 the idea of uh, church attendance is something that's optional for you and your family. It, it, it shouldn't be optional. And it could be that you just need to tell more people about Jesus Christ. We all could be more faithful in that area. The other day I was had a, had a few minutes and I figured I'd go out into the desert and do some shooting and, and I was I was out there just by myself playing around and some guy pulled up in, in a in a pickup truck and just jumped out and started talking to me and you know the first thing I tried to do is to tell him about Jesus Christ. Didn't do a very good job of it, but I tried. <laughs> Plant the seed. You know, we're never on vacation from being Christians. I have a question for you. Have you ever thought, what does true restoration look like in your life? What does it look like in your life? Well, I can't, I can't put a picture up and show you what it would look like in your life. I, I can't do that. But I can tell you this. It's the same, but different. It's still you, but it's not you. It's the same, but different. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day.